Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. <laughs> and the technology. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in L.A. And today we go back to the brink of the 80s to talk about our favorite albums from December of 1979. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and CLNS Media Mobile app. I'm just very tired. Dude, you got to work on that lung capacity. <laughs> but while you're doing that, don't forget to listen to our podcast at the CLNS Media website. You can find it at clnsmedia.com. As always, we plead, we ask, we cajole. Please, if you love our show, share the links on social media. And don't forget to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You know, you know how badly... Our, our plea to have people share the sh- links is, I guarantee you any given week, because I, I look, I can see who's sharing our links. Two people. Two people share the links every week. That's it. Yeah. I, I will say <laughs> I, I've abandoned Twitter. I just found Twitter to be such a cesspool that I don't go on it anymore. So yeah. you're not even getting, I'm not even sharing the links. And no, I'm no. The I, mean, I can see Facebook's the same thing. I don't know. People just, yeah. people don't like us. So until, until you don't like us, we're going to keep doing shows about 1979. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, mm, no, that's not entirely true. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's the deal. We have a couple weeks left in 2019. It's almost the end of the decade. We're at the, the 40th anniversary, almost, of the beginning of the 80s. If you really want to hold it to a calendar, the Gregorian calendar, the Roman calendar, whatever calendar you mark your days by in our slow descent to hell. Buck up, little camper. We'll beat that slope together. And Brad and I were wondering, well, what, I wonder what albums were... Was there anything interesting that was coming yeah. out right, right at the turn of the decade? Not turn of the century. I really wanted to say that, but... Yeah, kind of feels like it in a way though. If there was if there was ever a century that could have could have started and ended, it should have started and ended with 1980. I, I will I will give you that. The Spearsonian calendar actually that is when the, yeah. the century turns. That would and be fine just, by me. You just stop printing calendars after 1989. That is the last year. Yeah. The year of our Lord Steve Spearsy 1989. <laughs> I've made my peace with God if we could just make that happen. So we found two. <laughs> I don't know why it's it's not funny. It's not funny, Steve. It's not funny. It's art. We found, we found, I'm in a weird mood tonight, so you're just going to have to go with it, folks. We found two albums that we think are worth mentioning. Now, they're not very similar. For different reasons. <laughs> For different reasons, yes. But we're going to represent them both because I think to some degree they both had an influence on our lives, at least yeah. the lives of me and Brad. I don't right? know if we can call them both important, but I think they have a place in history. Sure. So, yeah. For better or for worse. So here, I don't. I I don't know why it's so. It's not. It's not funny, Steve. It's not funny, Steve. <laughs> it's not funny, Steve. Cut it out, man. 
I'm here to represent uh, this masterpiece. And I, and I say that with capital M. It's the debut album from Christopher Cross. Did you own this album at the time or at any other time in your life? No, I think I got my Christopher Cross fix from the radio, Steve. Yeah. I was you didn't need to thing. buy it. It was on no. all the time. Oh, the time. 1979, Christopher Cross comes out and he, record, he, he releases his self-titled debut album, Christopher Cross. It was recorded in the middle of the year. The most wonderful thing you can say about it is that it was one of the very first digitally recorded albums. Yeah, the audio geek in me found that interesting. Yeah. The worst thing you can say about it is that it, it beat out Pink Floyd's The Wall to win the Grammy Award for Album of the Year. If you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. Well, uh, again, didn't we just talk about this? How old were the Grammy voters in 1980 or 1979? Yeah. And what's the average age of the Grammy voter? 68? I don't think that the Grammy voters ever probably comprehended what was with The Wall, which, by the way, is not one of my favorite albums, but at least I understand its importance. Yeah, I, I get so, you. So this album comes out, and it contains the uh, the hits, obviously, Ride Like the Wind, featuring the backing vocals of the ever-so-sultry Michael McDonald. Oh, so this album is automatically Yacht Rock. Never Be the Same, which sadly underplayed. Uh, <laughs> And then perhaps the, the the most overplayed song from it, Sailing. Well, it's not far down to paradise. At least it's not home. And if the wind is right, you can sail away. Find tranquility. Oh, the canvas can do miracles. Just you wait and see. So here's the deal with sailing. It's hard for me to bash this song. First of all, I, I do like Christopher Cross. I've never seen him in concert. I had a very interesting phone call with him one time that was off the record, and so I can't talk about it unless you get me a drink sometime. Wow. You know, okay. Again, I, I say this a lot. Let's put a pin in that. We'll discuss yeah. that in March when we're in the open sea, when we're sailing right. around the Caribbean. But I, I, did, I did have to answer the phone one time and say, Hello. Yes, Christopher Cross. This is Steve Spears. In a full newsroom, one of the highlights of my life. But sailing was a huge song in 1979. My dad was a big sailor. He had his his dream was to have his own sailboat, and he did. And it was called At Last, which I think is a cute name. Well, yeah, I didn't know that. That's fantastic. Yeah, so so to him, sailing was kind of like his fight song. Okay. (laughs) If if you could have a fight song for sailing, it was his it was his anthem. I'm pretty sure that I bought him this single on a 45, as was the custom of the day. What a good 12-year-old you were. It probably topped out my my gift-giving budget for that year as well. This album would go on to get, I think it was uh, five Grammy nominations. And Cross, I think, remains the only artist in history to win the Big Four in a single ceremony. He, it won Record of the Year for Sailing, Album of the Year, Song of the Year for Sailing, and Best New Artist. Every once in a while, 
have to say when we start talking about christopher cross i remember on episode 500 when we interviewed the vjs we asked uh, them what artists didn't make the jump to mtv and nina blackwood's answer was christopher cross yeah it's true i mean his career died out by i think 1983 or 1984 he didn't have the right sound and the right looks for mtv yeah for as good of an album as this is it was Yacht Rock. And, right. and that era was coming to a close. Right. He peaked, you know, right at the end of an era. And it's a sad thing. But he's still around today. He still records. I mean, he still puts out albums. Hmm. And uh, maybe one day I'll get a chance to see him. That is my defense, I should say. of, And I'm telling you right now, and I'll, I'll tell you later, between the two artists we're featuring today, if I had to see one of them in concert right now, I would pick Christopher Cross. Mainly because I'm a 52-year-old old man. Would you really? Yeah, and we'll get into that. We'll get into that more in detail later, but not to ruin the story or anything. But I've said everything I want to say about Christopher Cross and December 1979. Brad, I know you're holding the winning hand here, so why don't you just let us have it? <laughs> well, I don't know. I can't lay claim to having been a huge fan of this when it was released, but I think December 1979 will always be remembered for this album from The Clash. The ice is coming, the sun's zooming in, meltdown expected, the wheat is closing, engines stop running, but I have no fear, cause London is drowning, I live by the river, to the imitation zone, forget it brother, you can go in alone, London calling to the zombies of death, quit holding out. Yeah, London Calling. Talk about gilding the album Lily a little bit. I mean, this is widely considered to be one of the greatest rock albums of all time. Oh, yeah. It's the third album from, I guess we still call them a punk band, uh, The Clash. Although, I have to say, I don't feel like this is a very punky album. I've been listening to it the last couple days. And definitely some of the sensibility is there in the lyrics and things. But musically... It actually sounds like these guys can play their instruments, number one. There's a horn line behind a bunch of it. And it's just kind of this mix of sounds and styles that I think you see even more of in their next album, Sandinista. But you've got some reggae, you've got some ska, you've got a little rockabilly. They cover just a straight-up rock and roll song. Uh, I I really think that musically they're all over the place. And, And to say it's a punk album is maybe just captures more the ethos than the actual music. You could write entire books about this album, and I'm sure they have. Uh, yeah. And but we're he, not going to tell you everything because right. you don't have that kind of time and need to do it. No, of course not. For, for some people, like who who maybe peaked in the later half of the decade, maybe this is some of your first exposure to this album. 
Um, did you own this back in the day? Do you remember? Oh, no, I did not. I didn't come to The Clash until I heard Rock the Casbah on the radio. And I love Combat Rock. I just That album is one of my all-time favorites, and I think it really still holds up. But it was not until much later that I started digging into The Clash's back catalog and heard things that weren't just stuff off of, you know, stuff that was on the radio. To me, this is their thriller. It's a double album, although I, I think I think you could probably – this is just my uneducated opinion. It's a double album, but if you you really could have probably worked it all into one record if you really wanted to. It, it gets a little mm. – I don't think the songs on, on the but second disc are, are quite as memorable. There are two I could think of. But for the most part, I think or, – or maybe it's just that I used to listen to it so often on – on CD that I only ever heard the first half of it. So um, yeah, that could be. I mean, it is interesting how the Clash had kind of a proclivity for releasing, you know, double and triple albums. Sandinista is a triple album. Yeah, and I guess when they were making Combat Rock, they were thinking about making that a double album. They ended up cutting down a lot of the mixes to make it into just a single right. single album. But uh, it's, I mean, there's a lot of songs in this you have heard. The title track, which already played. Spanish Bombs, which is so catchy. Yeah. Uh, Lost in the Supermarket, which uh, is kind of an interesting look at consumerism in the in England in the 80s or in the late 70s. Right. Clamp Down, and then kind of famously the one that wasn't listed on the record sleeve to start with, Train in Vain. Well, it was. It, they famously recorded the song after the record sleeve had gone out to be yeah. published. The one, the one I think that people probably remember most from this one is this one called Rudy Can't Fail. You hear that song in Gross Point Blank, I think, when they go back to the high school reunion. I was trying to place it, and I could not put my finger on it. You know, we used to always talk about how we want to pick the songs that play at our funeral. Oh, I have a playlist. I I think the other day, like I I was listening to this album nonstop, prepping for this show, and it just crossed my mind that Rudy Can't Fail would be a a very inappropriate song for my funeral, and, and thus I wanted to be there. I'll slip the guy a fiver to put it on the PA. <laughs> Should I outlive you? Which you know, yeah, though, I think the odds of that are money. about ninety-five percent at this point. I think a couple other interesting tracks on here are um, "Brand New Cadillac," which is a cover of uh, Vince Taylor and the Playboy song, which is kind of widely touted as the first really true English rock and roll song. And then this one, "The Guns of Brixton." When they kick out your front door. Oh, 
that's the first Clash song written by the bass player, Paul Simonon, who had not really played bass till he joined the Clash. It was kind of an interesting story. But the band really had to lean on him to sing this. They have released, or you can find, I should say, um, the studio sessions of them making this album, prepping the songs up, and he wouldn't sing it. So for a long right. time, it was just called Paul's Song. <laughs> When I was in a band in the 80s, the song that we covered from this was, was this one, Death or Glory. That's a straight-up punk song. That, that just uh, works. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And it's really kind of the, the whole attitude of this them making this album because their second album had really been produced and kind of taken over by the record company, and they were not happy about that. And so they kind of set up the way they rehearsed this and recorded it and who they brought in to produce it sure, um, to kind of keep them at arm's length a little bit. Yeah. Um, the producer was Guy Stevens, who at the time was just out of – jail on a drug charge and was you know having alcohol problems and kind of famously would spend time in the studio swinging chairs at them and swinging at ladders around his head and stuff just to kind of keep him on edge yeah uh, it's kind of an interesting story I, I'm, I'm gonna steal your thunder here for a second and mention the fact and i know we've mentioned this on the on the show before there's a spotify has a podcast series about the clash called stay free the story of the clash it's it's eight episodes and if you go and listen to episode five, it talks just about the making of London Calling. Now, I know Brad's listened to the whole series. I just now today listened to episode five for the first time. And uh, I'm telling you right now, this is easily one of the most entertaining podcast series I've ever heard. And the 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 resources they have, I mean, they've got recordings of them talking in the studio. They've got the, you know, the the very first takes of these songs. It is it is if you're a fan of The Clash and if you're even remotely a fan of this album, you've got to listen to this. Just just do a search for The Clash podcast and it'll pop right up on the your The series Google. is so good and it's hosted by Chuck D. Yeah. And he is amazing and he's so good and it's really interesting to hear his kind of his take on the parallels between hip hop and rap and the English punk scene at the time. It's yeah. really good. So-called sus laws gave British police free reign to search and arrest. The result was widespread racial profiling. So it was police paranoia crossed with the film How Do They Come. You hear in the early version they taped at Vanilla. And on this version, these lyrics Paul's talking about never actually come in because they were having trouble convincing Paul to step up to the microphone. So for now, it was simply known as Paul's Tune. I hate to sit here and tell you that you should stop listening to this podcast and go listen to another one, but maybe let this one finish and then go listen to it. Yeah, we won't, we won't keep you busy for too long. The, the other thing I think that's very notable about this album, I think anybody who sees a photo of the cover of this album would immediately be able to identify it, whether, whether or not they've listened to this album or not. It's just one of those iconic images. Absolutely. And I never knew the story about it until I listened to the podcast today. It is a photo of the bass player, Paul, and 
it is shot of him in concert, I think in New York City, right? At the Palladium? Yep. Yeah, it's at the Palladium uh, in a fall 1979 show. Right. They were playing a show and the audience wasn't getting out of their seats because the security f- team there was kind of holding people to sitting in their seats. And that's the opposite of what punk rock is. Towards the end of the show, he just got so fed up that he smashed his bass guitar on stage. It was an image that was just barely caught. It's it's slightly out of focus. The band, I don't think, originally wanted it to be the image. It willed itself into being, which is... It's, it's almost the most rock and roll thing possible. Yes. You, you know, it's this image of... A rock musician just losing his shit has gone beyond the point where he has any control. As like, this is the way I make my living, and fuck it, bam. <laughs> yeah, they weren't together very long. I mean, obviously, you know that fire that br- that burns that bright. But did you ever get a chance to see him in concert or watch I, any of their concert I did videos? Not. No, I actually I haven't. I haven't ever uh, yeah. seen them or seen any of their concert videos if, if such a thing I know, exists Could, i don't know if, if it i does can't either. imagine it would survive i think when they were opening for the who i'm pretty sure they opened for the who on the farewell tour they did a show at shea stadium and that concert was recorded at least oh. audio wise and it was okay. released as a as an album like within the last 15 years sometime during the life of stuck in the 80s i think i reviewed it for the okay. blog back okay. when i had a blog I came this close to seeing them play live in 1984. In, in 1984, I was working at Public Supermarket, which is a huge deal down here in Florida. I don't, I don't know that. Too many people outside of Florida know what public supermarket is, but it's it's the most popular chain. And I was a bag boy. I think it was my first real job. And it was in a Publix that was not in my school district. It was like kind of like the people that went that worked there went to the rival high school. Oh, so you didn't so, wear your letter jacket to the office. No. no. <laughs> this was in Dunedin, Florida. And I I don't think it's still there anymore. The building where that Publix is is still there, but now it's something else. But I, got, I became friends with the other bag boys and the produce managers and, and the cashiers. Uh, I dated one of the cashiers. And then <laughs> they were super into punk rock. At that Clean time, up I on aisle six, baby. <laughs> Clean no, up on no, aisle like six. That. Not poor innocent Steve. They were all into punk rock. So the first time I ever heard The Clash or the first time I ever heard uh, Billy Idol, all that kind of music. Was you know sitting in their cars you know during our break listening to these yeah. amazing tunes by these bands I hadn't heard of. So in March of 1984, the Clash was doing a tour of America, and they played Orlando, where I am now. They played, they played. I think it was like a it was, it was a small club. Called, I think called the the Beach Club or something like that. Where did they come up with friend, these names, Steve? That's amazing. <laughs> in Florida, of all places, so inappropriate. Half the store was going. Which meant okay. that the other people who were not going were going to have to work. Well, responsible Steve says, I don't even think my mom would have let me drive to Orlando at that age. Sure, sure. She rarely let me venture off that far on an adventure. And I'm sure you she knew You for another f- no, Steve. Yeah, I was due, I was due for due another for no. no. So all my friends went. And they come back to work the next day. And they've all got huge 
gash wounds all over them. Oh, no. And I'm like, what the hell happened? They decided to put these really large safety pins through their cheeks. Oh, well, no. That wasn't received so well by some of the other audience members who decided to tear them out. So between that and and the, the normal slam dancing routine that that uh, comes along with any punk rock gig, they look like they had just come through a war zone. But yeah. the gaping, the the open flesh wounds that took weeks to heal were just. I mean, and keep in mind this was nineteen so March eighty four. It was at the end of March, if I remember. Yeah, right before prom season. <laughs> If you need a place to pin the corsage, this this open wound in my mouth should should do the job so, just well. So what you're saying is they were all ready for trademark '80s cruise punk rock prom. Yes, exactly. So they they sacrificed a little bit of themselves for, it. and then they told me it wasn't that great of a show to begin with. So, oh man, well that go. was they were kind of the star was kind of fading at that point. They had one more album in them and fired the drummer because of the drug problems, and then they fired sure. Jones and you know things were going sideways so I guess the yeah. wheels were coming off that's what always happens so there we go looking back 40 years you could be a Christopher Cross fan you could be a Clash fan I don't think at that time you could be both but but I think that 40 years later we can be that brings us to the the close of 1979 you know if, if you were a bad little punker you might get London Calling if in your stocking if you were a, a good little piano player you might get Christopher Cross on in your stocking but the thing to think about is again those albums are kind of setting the stage for what's to come and there's a ton of really good music that comes out starting in January February of 1980 yeah i just looked at the list so here's some of the albums that were just a month away at that time are you ready for this yeah hit me you you got Permanent Waves by Rush, which features oh. the spirit of the radio. You've got the, uh, I think, one of the de- debut album by The Pretenders. Oh, which yeah. Which was stocked yeah. full of their hits. Yeah. The debut <laughs> album from The Romantics as well. Oh, jeez. A total love ballad from the Jay Giles band called Love Stinks. So things are about to improve, my friends. But not before we get into The, the Seggies. Ah, the mysterious notes of I want my mystery TV theme song. It didn't come out quite right, but I know I know you know what I mean, and that's what's important as this uh, wagon goes careening off the hill. So the last time we did this, episode 529, we, uh, we played you a mystery theme song. And as always, you know how it works. If you get it right, you get it into a drawing for some swag. So if you were paying attention in 529, and judging by the winners, you were not. <laughs> Here's the mystery clip. Yep, that's a theme song to Max Headroom. And if that seems a little familiar, we might have used that theme song in March of this year. 
Yeah, we, we, I think we used this right before the cruise last time. So there we go. And even d- despite that gigantic uh, help that we gave you, how many winners do we have, Brad? We have three. Three winners <laughs> okay. this week, Steve. So we're going to play uh, rock, paper, scissors to determine a winner? I think that's a good idea. So I'll, I'll just flip three coins. Winners this week include, now I want to preface this, this was not a name I gave this person. This is a name they gave themselves. Boring old James Crabtree. Okay. James M. Hernandez. And stuck in the 80s stalwart and original gangster, Lou, sweet Lou, Grilly. Interestingly, I don't think any of these people won the last time. And none of the people that won in March bothered to answer this time. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So, yeah. Total so karma. Karma? Is that what I'm looking for? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you want to do the rock, paper, scissors on the count of three? Yeah. Okay. Let's Ready? go. Uh-huh. One, two, three. What do you got? Uh, paper. Paper is boring old James Crabtree. Excellent. <laughs> James, so there we go. please send us your boring old mailing address, and I'll get you a boring old bottle opener in the mail. Before Christmas, no less. Yeah. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's the mystery clip for episode 531. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com. And tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. Hey, that's all we have for this week. Next time we talk, we will have your picks for the best holiday songs from before the 80s. Uh, In the meantime, Brad and I remain here, still stuck in the year 1979, but hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app.